I don't know about you, but I, I love having our kiddos up here uh, with us. I know that parents are probably like, we don't really like that at all, but thank you very much, Ryan, for making that decision. Poor little Molly over here. I know she comes and tells me, she's like, I don't, I don't like being up here. That's all right. That's why, like I said, it's so important for us to be a church family and to be together. I was just out in the lobby and Paul sitting out there being vigilant and watching for us and right next to him was little Landon just sitting next to him just like I'll just look at the back of him there and Danielle says I think he found a little friend I said well that's a pretty good friend to have she goes he likes stories well I said well Paul's got some stories to tell so (laughs) and you know what it's just like I all over and it's probably just because I've been prepping on this all week but everywhere is a reminder to me of church family what the church family is supposed to be and it's in something as simple as that an older man sitting right next to a young man and just talking and sharing life that's that's what church is and I say that so often around here that really if we could capture that and gather that and again why do the kids sit up here until you know around the sermon time because of that because um we older people need the youngs. We need that energy and we need that enthusiasm into our lives in the same way they need for us to be pouring into them. And so that's, that's what church family is to me and why it is important. I was very, very silly a little bit ago as I ran through my list of prayer requests and all the needs that we have in the congregation. I did not even give a massive, massive praise, folks. I want to embarrass A huge congratulations to you and to Garrett. We know that you're excited. We're excited for you and can't wait to see little baby. As it's estimated that every week, every week, not month, not not every few, every single week in the United States, 60 churches close their doors. That may not sound like a big number, but when you consider every single week, 60 unique and different churches have their last Sunday. For some church, and for many churches today, it will be their last Sunday. And if you were to do the math and averaging out, the average congregation, honestly, in the United States, you would think is like some huge number. It's big. It's like thousands of people, or maybe even like a couple hundred or 300 people. Actually, the average congregation in the United States is 60 people. And so if you imagine that 60 churches close their doors every single week and you do the math with me, that's about 3,600 people every single week who are leaving the church, or better yet, the church is leaving them. And because of that, many churches have turned to very unusual means to attract new people and to get people excited about coming to church. Case in point, one church decided, and I, just, I, I was like picturing this, if I can imagine New Heights Sanctuary, they turned it into a bull ring. Yes, you heard me correct. A bull ring. The pastor of the church would ride on a bull until he was bucked off, and as you can probably imagine, he didn't last any amount of time at all. He got bucked off, but he got himself up and he brushed himself off, and he'd go to the pulpit and he would preach a sermon. That was their big thing to draw people, a bull ring. 
Now, this probably would be more appealing to me. Another church decided that serving a steak dinner was the way to bring the masses into the church. <laughs> I see some heads going, you know, right? I could get some friends here if we were serving a steak dinner. Do what? Okay, so maybe we just marry them two together. We're doing a bowl ring with steak dinner, all right? We're just going to up it all the way. Guys, here's a simple fact. When the church is the church, when the church is a family, when the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, there should be no need to convince people that they need to come and gather together. Amen? But even more important, and this is a challenge of this morning, guys, it's a personal challenge to each one of us. A church will live or a church will die by the people that gather and make up that family. If a church is alive, then it's because the people who come are alive and they are active and they are adoring God. But if the church is dying, it's because the people who come are themselves in that state, dead. I mean, we talk all day long, why in the world? Why would 60 churches every single week close? Now, there are a number of different nuances and explanations for why that happens, but I think at the base and the core of it is this. The people who close their church doors largely are dead. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in the next few weeks. And it may seem like a really, like, wow, he just dropped a really big bomb on us this morning. It's a really serious and a very somber way to start off this morning. But guys, what we will be talking about this morning and this month is of utmost importance. I am convinced of this. I was just thinking about this this morning we have never needed the church family more right now than we do right now. Like, we, we need the church family. Not just we, every single person in this world needs a church family. I'm convinced of that. And guys, it's not just about the church corporately. You know, sometimes we think about the church in very vague, broad terms, this, this building that we come to every single week, and why we do appreciate this building, and this building is beautiful, and this property is wonderful and amazing. That is not the church. Specifically, what I want to talk about this morning and for this entire month is the church personally. This morning, like I said, and this whole month has everything to do with you and me, and the church as a family. And why it is so vitally critical and important, not just for you and for me, but for the entire world. I once heard a pastor say a long time ago, and I would sort of disagree with this to some degree, but I, I get what he's trying to go at. He said, the church is the hope of the world. Now, the way I change it is like, really, Jesus is the hope of the world, but Jesus has died for and left on this earth the church for the world. And so you understand what he was trying to say. The church is the hope of the world. And again, it's not the church building, it's not the church programs, it's not some really great charismatic preacher up front on a Sunday morning. It's all of us. All of us make up this body that we call the church, and every one of us is needed to be the church and to show the world what family really looks like. And as I said, I'm going to say it again, again, the church will live and the church will die by the people who make up that family. How do I know that that's the case? I know that's the case because the earliest church community that we find in Acts chapter 2 lets us know what 
church looks like when it is alive. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have your devices with you, we're going to reach in front of you. There's a Bible in front of you there, Acts chapter 2. We're going to start actually at verse 40. I think on the screen it'll start at 42, but we'll get there. It's very appropriate, by the way, that preaching on this this morning, because do you know what this Sunday is in the life of the church? Many churches celebrate it. What is today? Pentecost Sunday is today. Pentecost Sunday is uh, when Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon, and 3,000 people are added to the church. And the church, by all accounts, uh, at least at that point, it's not really that it was born. The church was born well back in the Old Testament, but it was expressed in a new way, and it was filled with the Spirit and Spirit-empowered at this moment here in Acts chapter 2. And so I'm going to start at verse 40 at the end of Peter's sermon, and he says this, Peter continued preaching for a long time. I love that, by the way. Some people tell me, like, Ryan, why do you preach for a really long time? It's like, I don't know. It was good enough for Peter. I guess it's good enough for me. He continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And usually people read this and they're like, 3,000 people became a part of the church that day? Why in the world does that happen anymore? You understand this is a unique moment in the life of the church. Never again are 3,000 people in one Now, here in a little bit later, if we read on in Acts, it says they eventually very quickly get to 5,000 people. But this is a very unique moment in the life of the church. And not saying that people shouldn't be coming to Jesus on a very consistent basis. But this is very, very unique to this moment in the church's life. And then we continue on into verse 42 here. It says, all the believers, all these people who had been added to the church and those people who were becoming curious as to what this community was all about, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. (laughs) I love that line, by the way. It's like, so for some people, it's like, oh man, I just cannot... I cannot do church today. And then the next week, you know, I really can't do church today either. And then before you know it, it's like, I made it like one time this month to be be the church, to be a part of the church, to participate in the body life of the church. They didn't have a problem with that in the early church. Every single day they were together. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. A recent study shows that for every single person in America, each of us have only about two people in our lives that we can have real meaningful conversations with. Uh, Two people that we can really actually confide in. Two. Now, I can tell you that probably 20 years ago, that was far different. Social circles were different. And isn't it not odd to you as it is to me that in a world where we live in a social media saturated world and life, we are more disconnected and isolated than ever. 
Your friends on Facebook or wherever they're at are not your friends. Your friends are the people who you will confide in constantly and go to for any need that you have. Two people in your life that you can have any real meaningful interaction with. Guys, most of us, if we're going to be really honest, don't even know our neighbors. And if we do know our neighbors, we don't want to know our neighbors. I'm just as guilty as the next person of that, of really, truly knowing my neighbor. Guys, our society is becoming more disjointed and more divided. And rather than celebrating what we have in common, we emphasize on what separates us, what's different about us, what we want to argue about, what you believe and what I believe, and how that naturally causes us to be driven apart. But do you also realize that in the midst of all the craziness of this nation that we live in and all the fracturing and all the division and all of the fighting, people are really, really looking for a place to belong. A community where they feel safe, where they can let their guard down, where they can be who they are. A family that they can trust, a family that they can love. And guys, that's why I'm wholeheartedly convinced, I'm so excited about this whole month of talking about the church family. I am convinced, guys, that what we find here in Acts chapter 2 is of utmost importance. And why I'm as committed as ever to seeing the church flourish in the midst of a crumbling and a fading world. Guys, this is my conviction. I hope it becomes your conviction too as we talk through this next month. Guys, when the church is right, when the church is being the church, there is nothing like it in this world. Nothing even comes close to the church. I don't care what club, I don't care what organization, I don't care about what collection of people you have together and you think that is real family. There is nothing like the church in this world. Never will be, never has been when it's working right. Unfortunately, many times the church isn't working right. The church is just like any other organization or collection of people you'll find in the world. Now, here's what I want to say right up front, because I think sometimes when we talk about this concept of community and the church, it gets to be a little bit like utopian, like, you know what, if we could all just come together, we'd all just smile and be happy, that would make, guys, here's the deal. I'm telling you very honestly, true community, being the church, is hard. I'm not going to lie to you. True community is very uncommon. I mean, there are churches, not just here in, like, again, I've told people, uh, when I go meet other minister friends, I'm like, you would not believe the number of churches we have in Connorsville. They're like, well, yeah, we no, I'm kidding. If I threw a rock, I would have a hard time not hitting a church in Connorsville. But for all of the churches we have, not just in Connorsville, but across this nation, to find true church family is hard. It's uncommon. It's unheard of. It's a unicorn. But guys, true community looks very ordinary. I mean, you read what I just read there in Acts 2, you're like, yeah, okay, that sounds like church. It's very ordinary, but it creates very extraordinary situations in life. It has very extraordinary impact when the church is being the church. And I would say it this way, and this frames a lot of what I'm going to talk about this morning. If you want to truly walk with God in your life, 
If you truly want to grow in your faith, and I think that every single one of us should want that, to walk with God and to grow in our faith, then involvement in the community that we call the church is an absolute necessity. It's not an option. It's not an add-on. It's not an extra. It's not something that we do if we have nothing else to do. It is critically and vitally important to every one of our lives, to our growth in our spiritual lives. But before we move too far in this study of Acts 2 this morning, it's important, I think, to establish what Acts 2 is and what it is not supposed to be for us. Because sometimes I hear Acts 2 preach, and especially these verses that we read, and again, like I already said, it's like this very utopian society where everybody just gets along magically, we all smile at each other, we all tell a joke, and everybody laughs in unison. Guys, when Luke writes this here and he records this first community in Acts chapter 2, he's not suggesting that the church just simply needs to return to the good old days. And I hear that a lot from people. They're like, you know what? If we could just return to the moment in time. Stop. We don't live in glory days. We don't live in good old days. You know, that if, if we could only be like this church here in Acts chapter 2, everything would be fine. Because we often assume that they had, they had it all. If we look at this, we're like, man, look at that. They had everything. Everything was perfect. All was great. Nothing ever went wrong in this church. Just flip over to Acts chapter 5 and read the story of Ananias and Sapphira and tell me if you think the church is okay. It didn't take them any time at all for things to start going sideways. Guys, whenever and wherever there are fallen human beings, and you and I are that, we're fallen, we are flawed. Wherever you have that, there is no utopia. There's no magic society that exists. We only have a flawed picture of a greater reality of what we're supposed to be. Guys, we, we must not and we cannot glamorize the early church here. They had their own problems and a lot of them. But what Luke is suggesting, I believe here, is to give us a, a general picture of what things look like in a church body. It's a summary. It's an overview. It's not a detailed description of what church should look like. It's a, it's a framework, if you will, for what the church can look like and what it needs to be at its core. These, there, there are some ingredients in here that are core to what the church should always be in any place, in any time in history. I kind of look at it as Acts chapter 2 here being like a like an old photograph. You guys ever sometimes just sit down and look back at whether you have like those really super vintage photographs or just a photograph of when you were growing up or when you were younger and you just sit there and look at it and you're like, I remember that moment. I remember that point in time right there. Old photographs, photographs in general are great because Photos tell stories. I have some photos up here of just some families and some general different stuff. And I just look at them and I'm like, there is so much of a story in there. Can you go to the first one there? Like, do you, you look at that and you think to yourself, I really want to know what was going on in that moment there. Like, they, what would they say? They say that a picture is worth what? A thousand words. There are so many stories, I bet, in that story right there. Nobody's happy. Everything looks off in that, that picture. What about the next one? 
I don't know if you can see this or not. It looks like a, yeah, right? You saw it, didn't you? It looks like a normal picture, and you're like, you're like, okay, it's a normal family, except for look at the girl in the back, and I read the little caption. It says, now I can see where my daughters get their eye rolling from. What about the next picture? You know, nothing, nothing needs to be said there, does it, guys? That's just so messed up is what it really is. Guys, photographs tell stories, but just like a photograph, you can never, as much as you look at a, a photograph and you're like, I remember that moment, I remember that date, I remember that time in our family's life, you can never go back and recreate it, can you? It's lived once. I also have some other pictures. You know, sometimes people will uh, take a picture when they're a family and they're all young kids and then they try to recreate it as adults. It's weird, by the way. All right. I have some some examples of that as well, too. I I love the one on the left here in this nice little family and their little striped polos and cute. Although I was a little bit put off, but they didn't recreate it. This boy's wearing yellow shorts over here and then he put jeans on this one. That was a lame attempt at a recreation. Then you can see this next one here, really great recreation there. The youngest has grown up to be bigger than the sister was holding him in the original picture. I think I might have one more, is that correct? Yeah. This one's just disturbing, folks. <laughs> At no point in time should that ever have been done, ever have been done. This idea of a photograph, we can't go back and recreate what has been. This photograph of the early church here in Acts 2 is, isn't simply to look at and say in our minds, wow, wasn't that amazing? That's not what this is here in Acts 2 for, but it's meant to inspire us and to correct us and to shape us and to equip us and to train us into what the church should be at its core And when we look at this photo, if you will, of the early church, it's God saying to us, listen up, folks, here's the plan. Here's the picture. How are you doing, New Heights Christian Church? If we were to measure ourselves against the ingredients in this little recipe right here, how are we doing? So so what is this photograph, what is this picture, what is this plan showing us, or stated differently, how can we learn from this blueprint here in Acts 2 and not just simply photocopy it? Because I think sometimes that's what we want to do with a lot of things is we just want to photocopy it and just, whatever they did, we're going to do, and that just magically will make things better. It doesn't. That was a church for a particular time and a particular place, but there are some things that I think that we can look back We don't look back nostalgically to the good old days, but we should take frequent glances back to that early church and how they related to God, how they related to one another, and how they related to the world. That's really what we see here. Those are the core essential things here in this section of Acts chapter 2. And so how did this first community relate to God and one another? And I would say that they related to God and one another in two very important ways. They were committed and they were together. And I would say it this way secondarily is this church had an amazingly healthy inward posture. Now, that doesn't mean that they were ingrown and they thought only about themselves, because we're going to see that here in just a minute. They weren't. But they had a very healthy inward posture. They were committed, and they were together. What does it say here in Acts chapter 2? Look at it again. That they devoted 
themselves to fellowship is a key word there. We're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a minute. It says that they met together and they shared everything that they had with those in need. And they worshiped together each day. And they met in homes with one another. And they shared their meals with one another in great joy and generosity. In sincerity of heart, some translations say, in simplicity. And if you look at that word that I have here in verse 42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves, guys. What does a devotion naturally signal? Doesn't devotion to you imply that there is, there's work? Doesn't magically happen that you have to actually commit to it and work into it? That you have to be accountable to one another? And isn't community that? Shouldn't the church be that? A two-way commitment, guys, requires real actual work. But I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it about this concept of being together, doing life together, being in fellowship. He says this, the physical presence of other Christians in our life is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Don't you feel that? I was just thinking as I'm standing here singing this morning, and I'm just like, ugh, just feeling kind of like drained and down here. But I was like, I wouldn't want to be any other place. This is filling me up. This is giving me energy right now to be here. The presence of other Christians around us, guys, is a source of joy and strength to us. It is God's gift to us. Never, ever forget that and never, ever forsake that. What we have as part of a church body and church family is, I think, way more than any of us could express. It means more than any of us could ever possibly put into words. The language that he gives us here of being devoted is not some try-hard kind of devotion. If we just grin and we just bear and we just get, we just try real hard, that'll be devotion. No, it says here in actually the original translation of this verse here, that they were continually devoting themselves to this. We get the idea in that, that they were daily doing this. A major facet of that devotion was their relating to one another. Guys, fellowship is the word that is used here in Acts chapter 2. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia, Koinonia carries the meaning of communion or contribution or sharing or the word that I really like, partnership. Guys, in basic terms, they express this fellowship in living life together. I came across this line this week and I loved it so much and it goes so well with this concept of being in fellowship. It says, and it's been said that guys, half the job and I would argue more than half the job of being a fruitful church member is just showing up. Just, just show up. You can't build relationships if you aren't gathering with God's people. Guys, it's hard, isn't it, to be devoted to something or to someone that you don't know, that you never see, that you have no relationship with. I want you to think of it this way. Most of us probably spent a healthy part of our day yesterday with our family. And when you wake up on a Saturday morning and you're with your family at home on a Saturday morning, do you really care what you look like? Absolutely not. And you actually probably look pretty poor, all right? Do you act differently with your family than you do generally in public? 
Yes, you do, right? Because you're comfortable with your family. Your family's stuck with you. They can't do anything about it. Guys, why in the world should the church be any different? We don't need to come in here. And sure, I do want you to shower and put on your deodorant and brush your teeth. That'd be really great if you do that on a Sunday morning. But you don't have to come in here with any airs or any sort of front or have to look a certain way or do things in a certain way. Just come and be you. And you know what that means, actually? It means that sometimes when you come on a Sunday morning, you're grumpy, aren't you? And people have to deal with your grumpiness and your sourness. But do you know what happens in in those moments? We grow when we have to be around people who are grumpy and sour. We have to learn in that. We have to live in that. That's the beauty and the joy and the benefit of being a part of a church family. These new believers immediately started devoting themselves to one another. Could you really say that actually, by the way? Like, I am devoting myself to people in this church family. They could not get enough of each other. They actually, shocker, they liked each other. They wanted to be around each other. Guys, this is a surefire sign of life. Do you want to see if a church has life? Do the people really like to be together? Like really, really actually genuinely like to be together? That's life. The gospel transformed everything about these people in this early community. They were new people with a new devotion and a new community. And I think what happens sometimes, guys, is that so many believers, so many people make a really sharp distinction between their relationship with God through Jesus and with the church. You've probably heard it somewhere along the line. It's like, well, you know, I really, I really like, I really love Jesus. But I don't really like that church at all. I ain't doing that. Uh, that's, mutu- that's called mutual incompat- incompatibility. Those things don't, that you, they, they go together. Jesus and the church go together. You can't have one without the other. And sometimes we make this really sharp distinction, like I said. This passage that we read here in Acts chapter 2, and not just this passage, but so much of the New Testament, does not give us the luxury that we just say, you know what, I'll take Jesus, but I'm not going to do this church thing. There is, there is none of that. The New Testament, guys, as a whole, knows nothing of Christianity without community. People being part of a church family and a body. Community is not optional, guys. It is vital. Absolutely vital. When God saves us, personal commitment to his community is not an option. We as Christians must have a very healthy inward posture. Devoting ourselves to God and devoting ourselves to one another. Sanctification, guys, our growth, our growth in Christ is a community project. You will never be who Jesus intends you to be without a church family. I'll just say it that way. Try as hard as you want to and say, you know what? I don't really need the church to be a Christian. I guess technically you're right, but you'll never be what Jesus wants you to be without a church family, without the community. Our growth is dependent on the good graces of God and other people around us in the church family. Guys, being the church, I guess you would say, is the ultimate team initiative. We're all in this together. But you see it here, right? They're not just fixated and simply just devoted to one another. Their real devotion was rooted in their relationship with God. And in this sense, that this first church was not just healthy inwardly, they were also healthy upwardly. 
What does it say here again? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Where did that apostles' teaching came from? Well, it came from Jesus. In a large sense, it came from God. They were devoting themselves to studying the Scriptures. It says they also shared in the meals. That's what the original translation says. We believe that's a a pointer to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted themselves as well to the prayers, to worshiping together, to meeting in homes for the Lord's Supper, and to praising God. You see, everything about this community was about upward. Us looking and, and keeping our eyes on God. This new community experienced God deeply in the apostles' teaching. It says in verse 43 that there was a, a deep sense of awe and wonder that came over them. It was also characterized in frequent worship and celebration and joy. I love the way that uh, Peter writes it in his first letter. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, like newborn babies, every one of us should crave the pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment, Peter says, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's Kindness. Every one of us guys should be craving after more of Jesus. You cannot get enough of Jesus. If this community could not get enough of one another, more importantly, they could not get enough of Jesus. Guys, these, these commitments that I just read about, apostles teaching and praising God and the Lord's Supper and prayers together and worshiping together, guys, these are the commitments that stand before all the others. They inspire all of the other things that we find here in Acts chapter 2. They hold all things together. A healthy upward focus towards God. And you know what Luke does here, guys. You see what he's doing, essentially, is Luke is basically recording the diet and the exercise regimen of a healthy body of Christ, right? Like, if any of you go to the doctor and they find out, eh, you know what, you're not really in peak shape, what do they usually tell you need to do? Two things, right? You either need to change your diet or you need to change your exercise. You need to actually start doing something. And many times they'll tell you, you've got to do both of those things. That's what Luke is telling us here. The church, you're getting flabby. Church, you're not looking very healthy. You need to do these things. Commitment to the Word of God leads to commitment to one another. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. It is grace. It is nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Sounds a whole lot different than the casual way that we often treat church, right? Grace. Nothing but grace. Commitment to and for one another leads to commitment to God's wonder-working power. Somebody has said it this way. Listen to this. Healthy church bodies are filled with affections for the crucified and risen Savior. Let's not miss the big E, or I would put it in this way, the big J on the I chart. In the church, everything in the church, everything the church does should be all about Jesus. That's what makes a church a really healthy church. All of this leads to a commitment to seeking him. As it says here, they devoted themselves to prayer. Guys, they were close with God. They were committed. They were dedicated to doctrine and passionate about praising and praying in pursuit of God. Try to say that ten times fast. 
They did that through worship by the word. And because of that, they were involved with one another. They were together, which feeds right into the last ingredients to the special sauce that this first church had. Guys, you see it, don't you? They were also mission-minded and they were reproducing. On that last point there, let me just say it this way. Any living thing, if it's not reproducing, what does it eventually do? Dice. It's no different for the body of Christ. If we are not reproducing, making other disciples, we are going to die. They were living on purpose. They were being poured into, but they were pouring back out into somebody else's life. They had, we've talked about an inward focus. We've talked about an upward focus. What would you imagine this one would be? They had a healthy what? Outward focus. You see, you have to have all of these things in balance to be a healthy church body. Inward, upward, outward. Guys, they gave the gospel to the world. This is the natural outgrowth of the first two things, inward and upward. What does it say here? I love what it says here in verse 47. And each day the Lord added. Who added to the church? Who? It's not a trick question. The Lord did. It doesn't say Peter did. It doesn't say John did. It doesn't say anybody else in the church. It says the Lord added to their number. But guys, simply by being the church, by having these healthy focuses in the church, doing the things the church is supposed to do, the Lord added to their number. And it says here that all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Guys, this new community not only moved toward God and each other very well, they also moved toward the world. And you know, sometimes people would be tempted to say, well, you know, that's, that's our that's our call to evangelism. Well, evangelism is never specifically mentioned here, but it's pretty obvious to me and pretty apparent that God is adding to their number daily. There was probably some pretty purposeful outreach and gospel speaking and preaching going on. Guys, God saves people to send them out. Don't ever forget that. He doesn't save you just to save you. He saves you to send you right back out into the world. Guys, this is why Christ gave himself up. To create a community like nothing the world has ever seen. And guys, when we carry on the spirit of the early church, we model that kind of community. J.D. Greer says it this way. God doesn't just have a mission for his church. He made a church for his mission. Guys, don't we automatically in any moment in life share about the things that get us really excited we want to do that. We can't help but tell people, i got to tell you about this. Something that has had some sort of an impact on our lives. Guys, if we are going to accomplish the work into which we have been sent, we must do it together, and we must do it with joy, and we must share about what God has done in our lives. Guys, we need others to help us accomplish the mission that God has given to us. We need others to help us walk through the ups and downs of life. We need others to help us grow in closeness with God. But again, let's have a little reality check here. Vance Pittman says it this way. Let's face it, guys. Fellowship is inconvenient and messy. It's easier to choose a podcast over face-to-face -face encounters with people who actually know us. That's the danger 
And that's many times where people don't choose community. They're like, I don't really want people to know me. And guess what? By the way, I don't really like people. I don't want to know you either. It's an unfortunate attitude. So why in the world would we, guys, in a world where this is a very foreign concept, why would we fight for fellowship? Why do we stay so committed to community? In a nutshell, as Pastor Skip Heitzig says it, he says this, church is life with one another through worship, by the word, to the world. That's a great definition, isn't it? Like, what's, what is the church? It's that. Be together, worship together, by the word, to the world. Guys, we do life together. We are a part of a great partnership, the church. It's often been observed and said that the church is not a spectator sport, but it requires collaboration and the participation of many. It is, like I said, the true team activity. So much of the focus on the early church is on this concept of fellowship. It is the highlight of this section right here. It's all about withness, our ability to be with one another. Guys, our withness is oftentimes our greatest witness. Or put another way, our withness is and enhances our witness. Guys, you cannot thrive, let alone survive, without fellowship, without a church body. Guys, fellowship is what moves the church goer into a church member. It's the difference between going to church and being the church. Fellowship is the antidote to the pressure the world is constantly placing on us. Guys, everything in our society pushes against fellowship, and it pushes us towards isolation. And so that's why we need it more than ever. We need to be together. And when we get real and we scoot closer and we let walls and defenses down, this is when real biblical fellowship begins to take place. It says here in Acts 2 that it happened daily. Now, is daily feasible in our world today? Evidently it is. Somebody said yes. Um, probably not daily. But guys, we do have ways to be in one another's lives, right? We have this little device right here that's glued to most of our hands. I was just thinking as I was in Bible study this morning, I said, here's a great, really practical application. Think about this last week and how many times did you contact Anybody in this church body in this last week to just say, hey, to check on them, to say, how can I pray for you? And if you didn't, that's a great place to start. Just pick somebody this week. Target somebody this week and be like, I'm going after that person. I'm just going to check on them. I'm going to see how they're doing. How can I pray for you? That's what we should be doing as a church body. It should be more frequent than infrequent. We should be continually, steadfastly devoted and committed to fellowship. I need it. You need it. We absolutely need this, guys, in our lives. I want you to think about it this way. And I think probably fewer and fewer people actually barbecue with charcoal. Does anybody in here still barbecue and, or still fire up a grill and has charcoal in it? That's my man right there, all right? So he'll get this illustration, but I think all of us will get this illustration. Here's what happens when you go out to barbecue with charcoals. You, you light all those little charcoals on fire, and what happens if you remove just one charcoal from the burning set of coals and you isolate it? What does that charcoal briquette do? Goes out, doesn't it? 
In a few minutes, that little thing will just burn out. It'll fizzle out. Guys, all those charcoal briquettes need each other. They need the heat. They need the energy of all the other coals around them to stay ablaze. And the more those coals are together, the heat output, the energy output, it becomes greater and it becomes stronger. And perhaps John Wesley had it right when he said this. And he said it best this way. I want the whole Christ for my Savior. Field. Guys, and it starts with you. Every individual one of you. Again, J.D. Greer says, the measure to which you have given yourself to these things that we have talked about this morning is the measure to which you believe the message. Do you believe the message of this enough that you would give yourself to this? That is the question, guys. Will you or won't you? Will you engage in community or will you spurn community and say, I can do this myself? The story is told of a small church in Oklahoma where a pastor took over and he was trying everything that he could. He was trying his hardest to revive this small little dying congregation and to bolster its numbers and to get people active, but it wasn't going very well, to be honest. Nothing was working that he tried, and so in one last-ditch effort and attempt to really bring to attention what was going on in this dying church, he announced both to his congregation, and he had it printed in the local newspaper that this church is officially dead. And Sunday afternoon, we're going to have a funeral and a burial service for this church. Well, Sunday afternoon, guess what happened? That church was packed. I mean, in fact, they had never seen that many people in this church ever before. It was so full that people were actually on the outside on their tiptoes looking into the church at what was going to happen at this burial service trying to listen through the doorways. And so the pastor got up and he preached the eulogy about the history of this church and what this church had been. Essentially saying, guys, this church is over. This church is dead. This is its burial service. And after he was done with the eulogy, he invited all those who were in attendance at that burial service to come up and pass by the casket and to give their last respects to this departed church. And he said, in doing so, as you pass by that casket, you will discover the reason for the death of this church. And as people got up and they filed one by one past that casket and they looked in, they all turned away in embarrassment. Do you know why? Because perched right there at the, just the right angle as people came by in that casket, there was a mirror that every person who passed by saw themselves. Their own reflection. Right there in that mirror. Why was that church dead? Why was that church dying? They saw it that day. And so New Heights, so all I have to say off of that is that we need to be the church. Each and every one of you need to be the church. As one pastor put it, and I'll close with this. I would wholeheartedly agree with this. New Heights, let us be a church of small, ordinary things, worshiping a big, extraordinary God. Listen to him, sacrifice for him, feast on him, 
Pray to Him. Listen to Him and His Word and let the world stand in awe of Him, not us. We're going to do something every single week and I hope that uh, you have a chance to participate in this if you would choose to do so. Every week I want to give time for at least a person or two to share about this question right here. It's not just a rhetorical question. Why is your church family so important to you? And so um, as the band makes their way back up here, whenever they do, they're going to start playing. But if there is anybody who would like to come up and just share a testimony of what this church has meant to them over the years or just maybe in a short time that you've been here, uh, we would love to hear that. This is the greatest way that we can praise God is to say, you have given me this church family and this is what it means to me. Just come on up here and grab a, I guess Becca will be kind enough to probably let you borrow her microphone if you would, but we're just going to give a few minutes here uh, for you to share if you would like to share. <laughs> 